disrupt your regularly scheduled programming to bring you Mind Mental Matters. Tune in with Jean, Chloe, and Lydia for our exploration of all things mental health in partnership with Mental Health Film Festival Singapore. Join our weekly casual conversations here at Radio Pals, the sound of NUS. Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to Mind Mental Matters. You're listening to the Radio Pulse, the sound of NUS. And I'm Jean, and along with me, I have Lydia and Kei, who are um, also hosts for this show where we aim to talk about, uh, we aim to have casual conversations about mental health. Yeah, so um, if you listen to our episode last week, we actually had a chance to speak with Cheryl and Andrew, um, who Sorry, <laughs> we had a chance to speak with Cheryl and Mac, who were participants of the youth film competition for this year's Mental Health Film Festival Singapore. And this week, we have another two pair of very young and talented filmmakers, and they are Claudia and Andrew. So why don't both of you guys say hi? Hi. Hi, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much for like coming on to the show with us. We really appreciate your time, and like we're really excited to chat. With you guys so um why don't you start off by telling us a bit more about yourself um Adi, Adi, Andrew, first? you can go first oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right sure sure so hi my name is andrew i am still studying edm year three under filmmaking so a little bit a little fun thing about myself is i i write and direct and also um dp director of photography and I love my type of film genres are more towards like drama, micro cosmic, uh, coming of age oh. genres. Yeah. So anything that is in between art house and also art house narrative and also commercial narrative, that's where I'm trying towards. Yeah. That's really interesting. There's some things I didn't understand them, but yeah. <laughs> really. Okay. And I love <laughs> and I love cats, if that is something that everyone can understand. I love cats too. What, 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 you mentioned like microcosmism. Microcosmism. What is yeah, that? So it's, so it's basically things that is reflected, that, and that is small, that is like visually small in a way, but it reflects a bigger picture in life. Yeah. Yeah, examples, I'm like having a hard time trying to like grasp that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no worries. So hi everyone, I'm Claudia. I'm a year three NTU ADM student as well. And I'm the producer for Grief Booth, our film submission for Mental Health Film Festival. And I had a background in animation. So I do producing from pre-production all the way to post-production. And I have an interest in documentary filmmaking actually. So that is where I'm heading towards on next. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, because it's, it's a lot more on like recording like human history and also behaviors and culture that, you know, may be lost at um, a certain point in our lives or in time. So mm -hmm. I think that's important to keep track of. How do you guys both decide on like what um, genres of film that you guys want to work on? I think it's mostly inspiration. Mm -hmm. Before, yeah, before even thinking of the genres, I think sometimes for me, like when I look at you know, a certain image 
or like if I were to be in somewhere and I look at the environment, I would suddenly get inspired by something. And then, you know, the plot just sort of like flows through my head and I'll be like, oh, this place would be really good, for example, for a suspense thriller. And that's how you sort of start getting into like the film writing and the ideas and the concept of like the kind of films that you want to make. It just yeah. comes to you naturally. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Claudia. So it's mostly like life experiences. And also the, mm. the different arts that we see, like you can always go to a museum, you can always go to screenings or like, especially at Projector, they have a lot of indie films over there. So like, you know, mixing between life experience and also the art you see, but it's what inspires us, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a little, little bit of like a thing because I know that like, for example, if Andrew and I were to go somewhere and we spot like a really cool place, we would be like, hey, this place is nice to film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we would do that. <laughs> But that's so cute though. It's like it's always at the back of your like head. So yeah. like wow, it's yeah. really cute. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, I know you guys are both um participants of the Mental Health Film Festival, youth film competition, and you guys created together with uh your team a short film called Grief Proof. Can you maybe tell us a bit more about your short film? Right, so I'll just talk about our short film, you know, I'm just going to make it quite short and concise. So like, so Grief Wolf stars Ting Shen, who is like a teenager, like anybody who experienced grief, a loss of a loved one's loved one due to cancer and how having a much needed bonding session with his father could actually open the doors to accepting grief and also to patch up their broken relationship. Mm, I think that's a really good like premise. Yeah, but just let's zoom in on the title a little bit because like grief group, people people would think like, oh, what is that, right? How do you guys like, yeah, like how do you guys come up with it? I would feel like it's more like the title, as you can see or hear, you imagine like it being like a booth for people to go in and, you know, like experience healing and stuff like that. It's like a photo booth, you know what I mean? So yeah. like I have this inspiration of having a retrofuturistic um, concept to the year like 2033, so it's neither like um, the past or the, neither old or like futuristic in a sense. So like, yeah, so this is, this grief booth is like um, it's an abandoned government project where, you know, citizens could go in and experience healing from grief. I mean, that itself, I think so, it's so new, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And I think like the idea of a booth, because I feel that everyone has sort of like this, this space inside their hearts or in their mind where they do tap into, you know, when they try to assess grief. And to me, that visual image of it is just like a booth. Like you have to step inside and then you have to close the doors and you have to sit with it, you know, mm -hmm. to access that kind of emotion. So I think the idea of a grief booth was just really parallel to what we wanted to see in the film. And I think that was, yeah. It's almost like a physical like representation of that space that you have inside, right? For, for processing grief. Yeah. It's something like that. And also because we wanted to be cool and we wanted to do retrofuturistic stuff. <laughs> I mean, in a way, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah, you go, go, you go. Oh, sorry. I guess in a way, it's very relatable to the market, I guess, you know. Yeah, to the mass audiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a little sci-fi with drama. 
Yeah. Say <laughs> so you wanted to say. So, if there is like a grief boost in reality, where would you think it would be in Singapore? Ooh, that's a really good <laughs> question. Oh my god, I feel like at every university because we are always <laughs> struggling through assignments. <laughs> right, right, and it's not only one part specifically in the university; it's every school. Yeah, every block should have one. Every block should have one. Um, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I feel that. I mean, if I if I am the creator of Grief and that thing actually exists, I would put one at Chinatown, where oh. a lot of yeah, where a lot of I think elderly people are, because I think um the younger generation, right? You know, we have the internet, we have a lot of resources for ourselves to learn about mental health, or you know, to learn about how to process grief and everything. But the elder generation do not have this kind of resources. So I feel that if we put, were to put something like that in, in a space where there's more elderly, maybe you could prompt them to, you know, to take a look into their own mental space. And, and you know, the old people, they're not as good at expressing their emotions. So, you know, perhaps if the scene were to really exist, it could help them to express what they are feeling. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think in general, like, grief and loss is really not something that uh, we talk about much, um, even just among ourselves, and definitely not really with um, people who are like older than us, yeah, like mm -hmm. our parents or grandparents, or just people around us. Yeah, so I mean, I think you guys are doing something really meaningful here when you are trying to put, put like um, a representation of grief and how to cope with grief on film. Yeah, but um, just wanted to hear more about like what inspired you to take on this project okay so i think i mentioned just now that um the core team of us like the five of us andrew ryan javier jv Jane, and i were actually classmates from ntu adn and i put the team together because you know we had our three month summer break and i really wanted to create a film outside of school so we came across MHFFS from an email our course coordinator sent us. And I thought it was a really great opportunity not to just improve our filmmaking skills, but also to spread awareness about mental health issues. So I'm a huge advocate for mental health awareness because I think that, you know, if people are eating a gym, eating healthy to you know, maintain their physical health, then they should do stuff to take care of their mental health as well be it, you know, meditating or booking a session with a counselor or a therapist and just to have them enter checking. And this year's team of grief and loss really hit close to home for me as well because I lost my grandfather to cancer um, last year and going through the entire grieving process felt very alone at times. And sometimes I wish that there were like more works I could relate to or get support from. And I knew that Andrew had his story to tell about grief as well. So yeah, I really wanted to create a film that speaks out about that. So that was why, you know, I gathered the team to create the film. What about you, Andrew? What inspires? Um, like I said, I, I will always um, fall back on art for a form of healing, therapy. 
So I think what inspires me for this is just my life experiences and a voice that I want to tell to others, like in hopes of them actually relating to it and find a space they can, you know, be comfortable in a, a voice. I mean, a space that they their voice can, their voices can be heard. So yeah, I mean, and it's also in tune with my like my interest in genres when it comes to genres. So something that's microcosmic. <laughs> Something that <laughs> something that is, you know, like um in in a way, because especially after COVID, you know, like there's a lot of people that is experiencing grief and stuff like that. So uh, I would say that the mass audiences would be able to relate to the idea of grief. And it's a very good place for them. Yeah. Mm. I think that yeah, it's so important that you pointed out. We're like just coming out of, out of a pandemic and a lot of people have lost like people who are important to them family members and friends due to yeah um COVID, especially in the last few years so yeah i mean i think it's very timely to address um this and like to actually start talking about mental health um and like just like yeah uh, difficulties that people are facing coming out of a pandemic. Claudia, yeah. so so previously you mentioned that like, oh, oh, if you were to put like a grief school somewhere in Singapore, it would be like in Chinatown because you, you felt like, oh yeah, it's usually like old people that really, they are really like dealing with grief because of younger people, we have access to the like, internet. And I think that's a really cool observation. And I was like thinking about it as well. And I realized that Actually, yeah, that's so true because I feel like the thing about grief is that people underestimate like how long it actually takes to like get over it, you know? Like mm. grief is not just like a morning period of like one or mm. two weeks. Sometimes it takes up to like years or like even decades, right? Like if, if your lost one is someone that you hold very close to your heart. So I, like, yeah, I was just like, wow, it's a really like great observation of yours. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that is also um, a very huge part of our film that yeah. I think I yeah. think you know we will touch on perhaps later, which is just the duration of grieving and and the mourning yeah. period, and how people you know interpret it. Yeah. And I think like most of the time, sometimes people don't even realize that what they're going through is actually grief because mm. it's just so like not. Oh my god, that was such bad English. It was just so not talked about, you know, like it's just really not talked about. Mm. So like people don't realize that what I'm going through is actually grief. Mm. Or well, sometimes that- they actually know, but they don't want to, you know, admit it because yeah. grief is such a very there's a stigma to actually be vulnerable. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think it's really because grief is such a complicated. Um, it's such a complex emotion because what comes with grief sometimes can come with anger. Yeah, yeah. You know, it can be you know, bitterness. It could be regrets. It could also be shame. So I think it's really it's an emotion that's really hard to put into words. So like for example, when when my grandfather passed away last year, and I was going through the whole you know grieving process and everything, right? I came to realize that what I was grieving over and mourning over wasn't just his death but at a relationship that could have been, you know, very well developed between the both of us. 
because you know even though my grandfather was like my relative and I think because he didn't have like a very good relationship with his children who is my mom and my auntie and uncles right as the grandchildren I didn't really have the opportunity to get close to him to you know to really get to understand or know the person he is so then with that came you know a lot of regrets and also like sadness and also like you know a little bit of anger at myself and so oh but I'm so old already so why didn't I just reach out more you know that kind of thing so that was a whole grieving process so you know grief isn't just sadness isn't just you know being depressed about at the loss or something sometimes it's it's complicated and it adds on a lot of different layers of emotions. Mm. Like people always say there's like five stages of grief and um there are a lot of like um as in there's there are a lot of like theories that say actually grief is not just five stages and like you don't necessarily yeah. go through these stages in linear mm. form. So like sometimes mm. you get to like stage four, then like you can go back to stage one again. Mm. And then like from stage one, you go to stage three, then you go to stage two, then you get to stage five. So mm. yeah, that's also like something for us to think about. Yeah, correct. I I don't actually agree that it's just yeah. five stages of grief. I, I don't think it's so, so yeah. much. Yeah, it's so much more than that. Because like you said, you know, you can jump across the yeah, stages it's, it's and not like a duration idea. of it. You know, it could be you know, just a week, it could be two years for some people, it could be their entire lifetime for some people. And the thing about grief is that um, sometimes even when you reach the stage of acceptance, yeah. you know, grief still hits you in the face out of the blue of a sudden white day, and you just have to go through the motions all of it all over again. So I definitely don't think that it's just five stages. And I know Andrew has a really good analogy for that. Oh yeah. Think about the room. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine grief is a ball that can um change various in sizes in a big room. So it first started out very big, right? So like it'll keep bouncing around the room. So like the magnitude and the number of times you actually feel grief is a lot. So as it gets smaller, as time passes, it gets smaller. So but however, it's it will still hit the edges of the, the room. But mm. at but you know, randomly, it'll, it'll be more random. So that's more un- unexpected. Like what Claudia has said, like even though you really, you think that you had already accepted grief, but it will just come hit you out of the blue. It will, mm. grief will, for me, grief is always there. I don't think you can truly accept or get over grief. You can accept, but not really get over. Because mm. I think with grief, there's growth. So in a way that it's also quite important for our, you know, our life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, yeah, like that was a really good analogy. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I've heard like, it's more of like, a, it never really goes away. Like it doesn't, because like the love that you feel for the person is always going to be uh, the same amount, right? After like, yeah, after they're gone. So then the grief doesn't really like get smaller, but more of like you expand to accommodate and you learn to like live with the grief and uh, work through it, right? Yeah, but I just thought that energy was great. Yeah, and like, and like because um, Andrew, you mentioned that like you know you don't you don't actually like always sometimes you don't come to um, a state of acceptance, right? And I think all the more why it's important for us to like talk about it and acknowledge that you know like some grieving is not a bad thing. Like grieving shouldn't be seen as a bad thing, and um previously we also we also touched a bit on like how there's actually like negative um social stigma or like misconceptions about 
grief, right? So what, what are some of the misconceptions um, do you guys think people have about grief? It's just being vulnerable, I guess. Like, you no, know, being vulnerable shows a lot of bad sides, bad, quote unquote, bad sides. Like, you know, you cry, you know, when you know, people always say, like, you know, men shouldn't be crying. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Like, I think men should cry. Anyways, but like, but yeah, yes, it's 2022. It's 2022. Yeah. <laughs> Say goodbye to toxic masculinity. No more, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just being vulnerable just brings a lot of bad points to yourself. Like, you seem weak, you know, in a way. But actually, I don't think so. Like, you know, it's normal for humans to cry. There's a reason why we cry, is to show that we are hurt, you know, in a way. So, like, and after you cry, you actually feel much better. It's like this expression, you know. So I don't think like, you know, going through grief is a bad thing mm-hmm. at all. Um, yeah, I think I definitely agree with Andrew. I think people often think of grief and loss as like this very negative thing. It's really heavy and negative thing. And not to say it isn't because, you know, sometimes it is, but people often shun it and leave it out of conversations and not be vulnerable about it. And I never understood why, because to me, I think like grief is like a natural process of love. Like you can only grieve so much because you have love so deeply. So grief to me is like a remembrance of, of the love that you had for that person or the thing. So when I view it in that way, you know, grief just seems a bit lighter to me. And the thing about grief and loss is it can literally be about anything. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be about, you know, somebody passing away. It could be the end of a relationship. You know, it can be the end of a drama series you have been watching and you feel really sad about it ending. It's valid, valid, yeah, valid. And then it can be, you know, a lost childhood or it could be the closure of, you know, your favorite star that sold the best roti prata in the world. You know, I hope that people, you know, can see it from a different perspective and know that this kind of mourning takes time and that it's okay if it's still, you know, present in your life even after a long time because that just shows how important that thing or person is to you. So yeah, to me, grief and loss is just remembrance of love and, and the hope that it, it gave to you. So yeah. I think, yeah, because of that, I think it's okay if grief is something that is you know, ever-present in somebody's life. Yeah, I agree. Nowadays, yeah. we don't really talk about deep stuff. Like, people would like purposely not talk about it. And they don't want to dwell themselves into such topics because there's so much to cover. There's so much yeah. uh, baggage to uncover. Yeah. And so like, yeah, grief is like unexpressed love. Like, you know, you get what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> feel like... we, we should all start talking about deep stuff. Yeah. Like, that shows how human feel like... we are. Yeah. Because we don't only do TikTok and stuff that. like that. We do... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think people avoid such conversations because they feel like it's too deep or it's too heavy. But you see, the thing is, everyone goes through emotions like this everyone goes through experiences like this so i see there's no point in shutting it out of conversation because it's just what makes you human you know it's, it's not anything bad or it's not anything heavy there, there shouldn't be a social stigma about it yeah i mean definitely and it's like the same the same thing goes for like all other like mental health problems right like grief is so 
like it can feel i think these things can feel very like all-encompassing but at the same time because it's so hard to talk about that it, it feels like you're being shut in uh, and yeah you just like don't have access to to the support that you need. but actually, yeah yeah when and like we, even even if you talk about halfway and you stop talking you just start crying that's fine too that's yeah. great <laughs> yeah i mean yeah everyone should be allowed to to grieve and to feel what they feel and be able to like do it with a support system yeah but i i just thought that was like such a great like th- those are like such great insights into into just grief as an emotion as a process as like yeah as a state and i mean like how how do you guys like know like how do you guys put that in front of the camera how do you even like conceptualize how you want it to represent grief on film i think one of the things that andrew did in his script writing and i felt he did very well with was actually to make the characters as humane as possible in our short film because if you look at our main character Jingxuan you know he is a character that's filled with flaws he's an angsty teen he's struggling to process grief he's very you know cynical about everything you know even with the grief booth he's just like oh would this really work you know and I think that character represented a lot of teens as they're going through you know their growing up phase and the kind of complex emotions that they, that they held that you know, that even though they are hurting inside and they're feeling pain, they don't know how to express it in healthy ways. So I think that was one of the ways we conceptualize grief in, in front of the camera and by making the characters relatable to the audience who will be watching the film. And also we make sure to like, um, we make sure to focus on just only grief and loss. But because grief covers a lot of things, there's like the after grief and uh, there's a before and stuff like that. So you make sure to make it very concise. So like, you know, there's not a lot of things to cover. So the, so we can actually hit to that time duration that was given to us. And also it will be more understandable and more digestible for our audiences. It really is a good representation of how people grieve and what grief can manifest itself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those characters are based off my life experiences. Like my actually, I don't really have a very good relationship with my dad. Yeah, so it's quite, I would say the writing process or the character development for Jingxuan and father, it, it just comes smoothly, you know, like, because I'm still growing, I'm still learning. So I'm always quite kind of like angsty when it comes to a new situation. Like for example, grief. When my mom passed away, I'm just like, why is life treating me this way? You know, I shouldn't be treated this way. Like, I haven't been bad to life itself. And why is life treating me this way? So I'm just, there's, there's a lot of pent-up anger, um, just confusion, and also um, just misery. So it creates this character, I mean, Jing Shen, who's kind of like feisty over things, but still hopeful, you get what I mean? That there's still a sense of hope. So, because I think all humans are always looking forward to a sense of hope. And I think it's quite realistic, like what Claudia said. And for my dad, um, he's more of like a very quiet, reserved person. But I can see from his facial expression that there's a lot of things that he wants to say, especially to his wife, who he loves so much. I can see that 
he loved his wife a lot, a lot, a lot. So, yeah, that translates to the character father in Grief Booth. At a point of time, which I hope that, you know, I mean, Grief Booth is a film for me to heal in a way where I could actually have that conversation with my dad. You know, like, it's like, yeah, to look forward to that conversation and seeing that in front of me on a screen, even though it's some kind of like imaginative, in a way, it's kind of like therapeutic. And I just hope that, you know, this film, my family will see this film and kind of mm -hmm. understand how I actually go through grief. And in a way where it puts out a sense of understanding as a son, as the only son. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually the most difficult part about, you know, conceptualizing grief for a film because it's actually us being vulnerable with our experiences and putting that into the story because you know to write the script we have to face the rawest part of ourselves and conceptualize it and package it in a way that you know our audience can understand and relate to which you know I was so proud of Andrew for doing and I remember Andrew and I had this conversation before about our films being the conversation that we want to tell to people because mm -hmm. For both of us, you know, sometimes the key to unlocking that grief or that loss is just one very vulnerable conversation that you could have with someone. So I think that film was a representation of that conversation for both of us. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it must have took a lot of courage, right? To like be able to do that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, a lot. I think but I still, art, for art. No, you go, you go. Yeah, for art. For art. <laughs> Artists for are art. tortured souls. Exactly. <laughs> we love pain, you see. Yeah. Coming back to like this scriptwriting process, like why don't you tell us a bit more on like um how this I how you guys decided on this idea? Was it like the first idea that you, that you guys had, or were there like other ideas, but you guys decided to like scrap that and go with this instead? And also like how was the casting like? Yeah. Tell us oh the <laughs> We actually didn't even have time to think about other ideas because the whole film was, you know, done in such like a rush timeline. So to like give you just like a bit of an insight, we spent I think about two months in pre-production. So two months, you know, it was actually a really short time to write a script out because you know you have to conceptualize, you have to think of drafts, you know, you have to keep revising your drafts and everything. And during that two months, it was when we had to get our crew ready, our cast ready, our equipment, and then, you know, resources, where are we finding the money, sponsorships, locations, everything like that. And then, you know, after that two months, we had this two days of very intensive production shoot, you know, because we had, in our film, we had, like, three locations and, like, different kind of light setups. We're shooting both day and night. And then right after we dive into like post-production, which lasted for, I think about three weeks. So the whole production of this film was intense from start to finish. So I, I don't think Andrew and I ever really considered any other ideas to write about grief. Like when Andrew showed me his first draft, I was just like, okay, we're on it. Let's find what we can develop more about this script. The, <laughs> the first few drafts of my script on pro writing process, I mean, there's one more character that we didn't even include in the final, mm. and he he's just Ting Shen's friend. So just to make things yeah. more realistic, you know, because I wanted to make Ting Shen kind of like hopeful but still reserved in a way, because like you know, Green Boom is an abandoned project. That's the reason why it's abandoned. I mean, if you look at the film, so yeah, so like in a way, it's gonna be a little bit of like light-hearted comedy, but 
what Clarita told me as a producer is there's no time for that. That's yeah. too much. That's too much. I was really brutal yeah. about it. <laughs> I mean, as a producer, you kind of co-write the film in a way with the director mm. also. So you have to cut down like this character off, cut down the script pages to, yeah, yeah it's much needed. And I think it's a yeah. very interesting process also to see. I mean, it hurts my ego and also as a writer, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but still, I think it works. It's kind of like a, you know, give and take, which yeah. is much needed. We are all doing this for the final pro- um final outcome. Yeah. Not for ourselves, you get what I mean? Yeah, I remember Andrew and I had this really intense review session. You know, his first draft that he gave uh, me was like 20 <laughs> pages long. And I was just like, Andrew, oh my God, stop I it. I don't have the money for you to do this. So <laughs> I was just like, we are going to cut this character. And then I had to give him like a list of reasons why we're cutting this character. I'm just like, it's not adding to the script. You know, I feel like Jay could do it without this guy. You know, what is this guy bringing value to the story? Like a exactly. lot of things. And it was so intense. It was so beautiful. We made it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so beautiful in his head. And then he passed it to me and I was just like, no. <laughs> oh my God. That sounds so intense. Yeah, like two months. Yeah. And like, it's not all that like you guys still managed to come on such a good like short film. Yeah. Did you guys like encounter any production issues? Like, and how did you overcome those? Oh, Claudia, oh go my out. God. Go out. <laughs> <laughs> so the number one, you know, rule of thumb in production is that everything that you expect to go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> and you just have to wing it. You just have to be prepared for it. So I remember, I think the first day of our production shoot, we had an early morning at Botanic Gardens. It was a 6 a.m. call time and it was raining heavily. They just started pouring heavily out of nowhere. And the weather forecast didn't say that it was going to rain, but it was raining heavily. And then, you know, all the shit got pushed back. And then we had like, you know, we had to find shelter somewhere at the side production area and under a sheltered area. And we just had to wait for, you know, the, the rain to stop before we could, you know, film. But in hindsight, you know, now that, you know, when I watched the film, I felt like that rain was a good thing that happened because it really added on to you know the end of the film where it's it's a little bit like you know after the storm has passed kind of feeling so we kind of just you know you just saw how to go through production and as a producer you know there's only so much I can plan so I can plan for every scenario but on production set itself sometimes you just have to wing it and you just have to make sure things get done so that was for production but you know other than that I was really happy and proud of our crew because our crew, you know, comprised of year one to year four NTU ADM students. So it was like a collaborative effort among, you know, the cohorts. And everyone was really enthusiastic about the film. Everyone was like, you know, gung-ho from, from production day one. And we all got things done so fast and everything. You know, everyone was so efficient. So I was really, really happy about that. Yeah, I think it's like, that's like, interesting because like we spoke to um two other participants of mm-hmm. this competition and the producer said the exact same thing. She said <laughs> everything that you ex- everything that you wouldn't expect to go wrong 
will go wrong. <laughs> go wrong. Yes. So many things you can control. Everything that you think won't go wrong, it will actually go wrong. So yes, when you say that, it's just like some universal like producer it is, thing. It is. It is a producer thing. Yeah, and I think it's like yeah. cool as well because like I don't have any like film background. I'm not like I mm-hmm. don't have experience in filmmaking and like just hearing like how much actually goes behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, you guys still like the show must go on. You know, you you still have to like get something out you still have to like do a good job it's just like it's really really impressive to me mm. yeah yeah but i always look at like the things that go wrong that they will always have like a silver lining to it because you know when things go wrong sometimes that's when you get like happy incidents where like you know you move the camera and like hey actually this looks better or like you know your casting your performance have like a different kind of reaction and you're like hey actually that reaction works better so yeah, as, as a producer, you know, there's so much we can plan, but we just have to keep in mind that sometimes still allow happy incidents to happen. Was it, like, hard to cast as well, given such a tight timeline that you guys, like, had? Right, so I think, I think we only, we only put out the casting call, if I believe, two, three weeks before the actual shoot. Right, Andrew? 16 May, we put it out on our social media. In By the way, it's at griefbooth.film on Instagram. Yeah, just so plugging it in. Just plugging it in. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you can see all the behind the scenes and all the different um, description of different crews and also the sponsors and stuff like that. Yeah. So we did put it on 16 May and we did shoot on... When was it? When we shot, shot it? Claudia? I don't remember. I don't remember. But it's around like three weeks. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's around three weeks. Yeah. So yeah, we reached out to every single platform we could find because of course we are like, you know, a student-funded film. So it wasn't like we had a lot of money to pay professional actors. So I think we put out our casting call on like Instagram, on Facebook. We reach out to friends and family who, you know, we urged them to help us, you know, spread through word of mouth. And then there were like telegram chats that were for you know casting and everything, and we posted there as well. So we actually got quite a few applicants for Jingxuan and um, father. father. Yeah, father character. But I mean, father character is such a very niche um, character in a way because the age group and also, you know, in terms of, when it comes to Singapore, I don't think there is a lot mm. of um, older man character who can really act as a vulnerable, um, mm. who can act, as vulnerable as father in this film. So, yeah. And yeah. it was quite magical, like, it was quite magical how Michael, who was casted for father, he, his performance during one of the scene, yeah, I mean, you can, you, you have to watch it, but I don't think I can just say it like that, but like, there's one part of the scene, it was quite, it was like a film magic kind of moment where I didn't expect him to do that, and it happened. So, I mean, like what Claudia said, Everything Happy happens. incidents. Happy incidents, yeah. 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 So Michael was cast there because we felt that he could really express the emotional vulnerability of our father character. And then of course we casted um Falcon as Xingxuan. So what we really liked about Falcon, especially during you know the audition casting and everything, was he had this certain rough edge to him that I can't quite explain, but when you see him acting and going through the scenes, you know, he has this roughness that's not refined, you know, and we felt that it made him a lot more relatable. 
because then we're not just seeing his acting, we're seeing a little bit of into himself as well. You know, that we know that, oh, it's, you know, maybe not just a performance, it's his own feelings. So I think that was one of the main reasons why we cast the Falcon as Sing Chuan. I definitely feel yeah. like it, it feels very, it genuinely feels like we're looking at his lines. Mm, mm, a little bit, the way he delivered his lines and everything. And just mm, a little bit spoiler, but Mother comes on as well. And <laughs> the very fun fact about our Mother character Okay, this is just I, okay. This is nothing to do with plot, but a little fun fact about the mother character is that the woman that we casted for mother is actually my own mother. Oh, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't find anyone um for our mother character. So then you know I was desperate and I and then I called my mom. She's like, mom, mom, please, no, she's like, mom, please, could you just be on camera? And so we got like the whole costume and everything. She's wearing my clothes and we got oh. everything on for her. And then you know she was complaining the whole time. She was just oh. like, oh really? I need to be at botanic at six a.m. six a.m. <laughs> but she was, <laughs> but she was so happy to do it. And she was getting along well with everyone. So, you know, it's a little bit of that kind of Asian, like, but then actually inside, you're like, oh, you tell me. Like, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I can tell that you guys really put in a lot of effort into this. Like, everyone, including, you know, your team and all the actors and actresses that um, were in the film. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to to seeing reboot screens at the at this year's mental health film festival Singapore. Which on that note, what are you guys both uh, looking forward to the most for this year's uh, film festival? Um, for me, it's more of seeing the other works from our local filmmakers because I'm very interested in their art and see how they actually cover the heavy topic of grief and loss. And yeah, I mean. And also connecting, I guess, like talking to these filmmakers because they always have this story to share. It comes very close to their heart. So I think, you know, even with grief, even, even talking about such a heavy topic, it brings people together. And that's what I'm looking forward to as well. So I unfortunately cannot be there for this year's film festival because I'm actually doing my semester abroad now. I'm actually Zooming with you guys from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not and yeah unfortunately I'm not in the country but I'll be very excited to watch like Andrew said or the other film makers um works um I'm not sure if you guys know but I think recently Ajuma which is a Singapore production you know was premiered at Busan Film Festival and got into is in this year's running for Oscars as well so, you know, it, this is like a huge moment, I think, for Singapore film industry. And I just think that as Singapore filmmakers, you know, we should support one another to expand our industry. So I definitely am very interested to see the other films. And I think the other part of Film Festival is also, it will be really interesting to hear what people think or feel about our film. Because I think that's like like I mentioned just now, I think that's the best part of being a filmmaker is to know how people interpret your work differently from how you show it. Because you know, I can think A, but the audience may think B. And I would be really interested to know like 
you know, both positive and negative comments about our film. So yeah. yeah. Oh, Truthfully, definitely send you, Claudia. Yeah, send it to me. Oh my god. Like before so they speak, I'll I'll whip up my phone and say, okay, say yeah. it to the camera. I need to send to my phone. Uh, hi, Claudia. Yeah, everyone say hi, Claudia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm really interested to see um yeah, what conversations that your film generates mm. and you know, like what people take away from Grief Proof. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any other questions? If not, we're gonna wrap. I, I have a question. So, uh, like going back to the title Grief Boost, like what is something in real world you think that serves as like Grief Boost and like for people in need and also like can we create our own Grief Boost? I mean, for sure, there is apps out there to help the elderly also and also to help us teenagers. And one of it that I'm using um, recently was better help so it's an international kind of thing so you can actually um, get in contact with like uh, international therapists and stuff like that and it's some and some of it's for free and when it, in regards to having a what it takes to create a grief booth am I wrong yeah like can we create our own grief booth um I think like in in real life grief booth that we definitely have um, in our current world is a therapist or a counseling room. <laughs> that is what I think like a grief booth would be. Because you know, if they're going through grief, they're going through like a really hard time and you know you really don't have anywhere else to reach out to, I would strongly encourage people to reach out to a counselor or a therapist. Because seeking professional help can be such can be such like a, an eye-opening experience, I would say. You know, because sometimes you never knew that you needed it until you actually go ahead and do it. So that is definitely one thing. And in Singapore, you know, there's we are actually really fortunate because there are a lot of help available. So there are, you know, I think there there are certain counseling centers. I, I think Karen Counseling Center where they provide like financial aid, for example, for therapy sessions. And you know, even in universities or in secondary school and polytechnics, we have free like counselor counseling help available from the school office so you know definitely if you need that kind of resources please go go and find it yeah and then other than just that I think it's also about creating your own safe space so you know creating your own safe space can you know not just be you with other people but also within yourself so I know that, you know, for example, if I've had a long day or if I've had a hard day, what I like to do is really just sit in front of my laptop and brew this really nice cup of hot tea and just be in that moment. But just even if it's just five minutes, you know, that allows me to ground myself and be like, okay, you know what? It's just today. Tomorrow will be a better day. We can do it. You know, let's, let's move on. So that's what I do to create a safe space for myself. And also with my friends, you know, um, I have really great friends that I know that when I am going through something hard, I can always reach out to them. And I remember one of the best things that my friends ever did to me was I had this really hard day and I was just breaking down on my bed. And my friend, you know, she just laid down on the bed with me and she just hugged me and that was it. So, you know, sometimes you don't have, you don't need to have a conversation. You don't need to do something to have a safe space. Sometimes you just need someone's presence there 
So, you know, I would definitely urge people to try to find that safe space for themselves. And I think that, you know, that combination there would create a really good, like, present world grief booth, where it's a space where you can just assess all these kind of deep emotions you have within yourself. That is so me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, like, sharing about that. Yeah, no problem. Both of you, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so there. much for making the time for us. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Just to wrap up today's session, thanks everyone uh, for listening to today's episode of My Mental Matters, where we have our special guests, Claudia and Andrew, on for to talk about their short food, short film brief food. Um as mentioned before, you can catch Mental Health Film Festival Singapore on 4th through 13th November uh, this coming month um, at Kallang Leisure Park with Film Guard. So we hope you're looking forward to that and you guys are going to be able to catch Fifu as well as all the other short youth short film competition participants, short films there. Yeah. But um, yeah, we'll see you there. And thanks again, Claudia and Andrew, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank for you so us. much. Goodbye, everyone. Bye bye. Thank bye. you. Bye bye.